BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. I, I just can't believe it's March 1st. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Slow down, slow down, world, slow down. Uh, anyway, uh, just to give you a sense of what's in the news, uh, my distinguished guest sent this to me about two hours ago. So thank you, distinguished guest. This one, this, <laughs> this one just blows my mind, man. This one is a, a piece of work about how Chicago works. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, the headlines from NBC uh, News, so shout out NBC, uh, Shelby uh, Bremer and Marianne Aherm. It originally ran February 28th. All right. Emails show Chicago mayor pushed Sox for unified messaging amid stadium funding ask. Okay. Um, so the uh, the story talks about how <laughs> I, I can't even get this out without laughing. Um, so the story shows of how uh, – Aides to Jerry Reinsdorf, owner of the Chicago White Sox, were emailing uh, aides to Mayor Brandon Johnson, uh, asking them to serve like have a joint statement from uh, the mayor and Jerry Reinsdorf about the White Sox request uh, to get more public funding. Uh, for a stadium. This is just staggering when I think about this in so many levels. Okay, because the White Sox, one more time, just to remind everybody, they just got a new stadium in 1991. Okay, all right. Uh, they haven't finished paying off the public obligation for that stadium. Okay, number three, they can't fill the stadium because the team is terrible. All right, so I just want you to think about this. Four, they're seeking public dollars. This is a city that, like, is every time somebody asks for a nickel for the homelessness, migrants, the public schools, mental health clinics, filling potholes, anything that matters to anybody in the course of their real day-to-day life, they're always met with this, oh, my God, where are we going to find the money? The poor taxpayer is stretched to the limit. But when it comes to the White Sox, hey, baby, let's go. Good times roll. Okay? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, the White Sox are, can we just, please, Mr. Mayor, could you just say something like, you appreciate that this is an important thing for Chicago? And so Mayor Johnson responds with the press office response by saying, the mayor's looked at the request and we're studying this thing very carefully, you know, like, as opposed to saying, are you freaking kidding me? I don't even know how I'm going to have to pay for the schools. But you want me to build you a new stadium? As opposed to that. Meanwhile, the Bears, let's not forget them. They got that big bear paw out. <laughs> they want some handouts. Their handouts are coming from the same handouts that the White Sox have already coveted. I don't know how they're going to figure it out. They each want hotel, motel, Texas. There's not enough to go for both. And by the way, the Bears are still paying off the obligation, the money they borrowed for their stadium. Oh, my God. Anyway, 
Brandon Johnson, Mayor Johnson, is all, all also. Well, how does he do it? You know, they go, well, we're studying this one very carefully. Interesting proposal. Want to keep the bears in. So it's these overtures that Brandon Johnson feels compelled to make to show the world that he's open-minded as opposed to like some lefty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm open-minded. I'll betray every principle I ever stood for in a heartbeat because I'm open-minded. Finally, today's Shia Capo's column. This ties it together, distinguished guests. Today's Shia Kapos column in Politico talks about how the downtown business community feels they're not being paid attention to enough by Mayor Johnson. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> you got Jerry Reinsdorf's aides emailing Mayor Brandon Johnson's aides saying you got to have a joint statement. And within, I don't know, 24 hours, they get that joint statement. Name one lefty in the city of Chicago who can claim the same. Name one, like, I can't think of any, like mental health clinics. We, we were promised the mental health clinics will be reopened within, I don't know, immediately. It's been how many months? Almost a year. There's a guy I know, dear friend, out in West Riders Park who says, anytime, Ben, anytime. All right. Uh, distinguished guests, first of all, thank you for sending me that uh, email or that uh, news update from NBC. You're welcome. Uh, and holy, uh, <laughs> what a city. Uh, and introduce yourself and then we'll take it from there. Go ahead. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the Sun-Times editorial board and a columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes. Uh, all right, Ramana. So let me ask you. Um, and pretty much every person who comes on the show gets this. Um, so I believe there is an incredible pro-business uh, bias uh, that's been baked in. Oh, a lot of bees in them doing this little ration thing. It's just baked into our system. Uh, and we saw it on display, in my humble opinion, uh, in that uh, story you sent me where the mayor's office is bending over backwards to make sure that the whole world knows that he is open to the idea of helping the White Sox uh, build a stadium. Uh, I asked one of my guests last week this question, uh, if I, if the, that bias was there. And some of them have said, Ben, you're going too far. There's no bias. Uh, you're, you're just um, too paranoid. So what's your, do you feel I'm paranoid? Uh, do you feel that there's no uh, justification for me to say this uh, at all, that it's absolutely appropriate and that Mayor's aides and Jerry Reinsdorf's aides exchange loving emails back and forth? Uh, <laughs> uh, your thoughts on whether there is a bias uh, in the city of Chicago on behalf of, I don't know, rich people. Go ahead. You, are you saying that there's a bias against rich people? Because I don't think there's a bias. No, 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 oh, no. You, no you're, you're just saying bias for rich people. Oh, yeah. you no, know, I think there's a bias for rich people. I mean, that's how things get done, right? If 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 there is some sort of measure in at city council, it's always the rich people who kill it, right? If it's something people like. I mean, we had that bring Chicago home, um, you know, the stuff that's going on to bring Chicago home. Isn't it from pressure because of you know, people who are business leaders in, in Chicago. And no, I think there's a definitely a bias for them, not, ag not against them. And, and for, for them to say that nobody cares about, I, I just think it's, I think it's kind of ridiculous. It, yeah. It's okay. Thank you. For and that I mean, even like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I personally, like I'm not a White Sox fan and I'm not a football fan. So Okay, I don't really, I don't really see the point in all this. Like you know, I know everybody cares. You know, I don't see the point in a new stadium when the, the White Sox already have a stadium, and it's a pretty big stadium, um, and it's a pretty nice stadium. I've been to it a couple times. I don't, I don't know why we need another stadium. Personally, um, I know there's stuff with the Bears. I don't know why they just can't stay in Chicago. And I'm looking at it from a very simplistic lens, from a fan who doesn't from a sports fan who doesn't really care about either teams and not in the sense that I don't want them to do well. I mean, if the bears are in the super bowl, I'm always going to cheer for them. If the Sox and not the Cubs are in the world series, I will cheer for the Sox. But even if the, even if Wrigley field, like even if the Ricketts, you know, 
these are all, all these sports team owners like want all this money and they're already like rich. And they're just like, I mean, at, at some point, the taxpayers will have to pay this. And so I, I just, I, I do think you bring in a good point. There's like so many other things we need in the city. We need to combat homelessness. We have an influx of migrants. We want them to have like, you know, this is, these are humane, like mental health clinics. These are things for people to help our city. And as much as I like sports, I don't think we need a shiny new toy. And, and it's like this whole thing, you know, people always talk about the revenue that Chicago is going to make, you know, whether it's like, you know, God, I can't, I, I don't even know the name of the race, the, the race that we had, the NASCAR. Um, NASCAR. <laughs> I don't even know. It's like, I don't, I don't like, I don't really pay attention to car racing, uh, NASCAR, but I should know that um, NASCAR, whether it's like gambling, I'm not someone who gambles, but anecdotally, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody under the age of 40 who wants to go to casinos. You know what I mean? I've never heard of anybody. I mean, I don't know, maybe like people go to Las Vegas. Do you know people who want to go to casinos? Oh my I don't goodness. know. That's a whole other story, but yes, well, I, I just feel like, and then, you know, people point out to me that, you know, they have online gambling. So a lot of younger people, if they're going to do gambling, they're going to do it online. Nobody's going to go to some like old fashioned slot machine and, uh, you know, go play it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I know people like to gamble. I'm not saying that they don't, but I just feel like casinos are like so 60s and 70s. Like, I just think they're going to go out the door. And I remember when, um, and you know, it's like all, people are always talking about the revenue. So I always feel like whatever rich people want, rich people get in this city. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it sounds. Like to me, to, to me, like, I, like I'm saying, I'm not someone that like analyzes, uh, you know, guaranteed rate, rate field or anything like that. But it's like, it's been there forever. And, and I don't see what the problem is right now. It's like they, people go there and watch a game. And, and I, I know one of the, like, I guess people like going to the Sox games because it's easy. It's unlike Wrigley field. They can find parking and maybe that's the thing. It's like, doesn't it, it's like they, they think they're going to fill more people, you know, that's the stadium. If it's a new stadium, like what, what difference is it going to make whether it's in, Bridgeport or somewhere else like I just don't get it like they already have and it's like it's it's a decent stadium like it looks it looks fine to me like are they gonna try oh well I heard that they want to make it like more like a Wrigley Field but didn't you think about that the first time I know things change and trends change but it's like we had Wrigley Field sitting there and Wrigley Field has been attracting a lot of people for years because you know quote unquote it's a place to go and I'm not in no way shape or form am I like trying to like say oh the Cubs are better but I'm just saying because of Wrigley Field the way the nostalgia it evokes like the actual field. That's what that's been. Everybody knows about that for years. So like, it's not like it, it, it was, it's not like rocket science. Like you could have known that a long time ago when you built guaranteed rate field that people like coming to Wrigley field, like even if they don't like the Cubs, they kind of just like the atmosphere and they like the, the coziness of it. So it's like you, you knew that beforehand. So like, I think that's like, so I just think that's like a dumb reason for them to be like, well, we want to make it more like, you know, homey and cozy and our studies show. And I'm like, I don't even need a study to figure that out, that people don't want like these cold, you know, stadiums that don't really have any sort of, um, you know, any sort of quirks or any, anything that kind of stands out about them. You know, people, I mean, I like the Ivy at Wrigley Field, like, I, even if you're not a Cubs fan, but you like that. And I, I personally think some of the bells and whistles, whistles they add to Wrigley Field kind of, kind of made me a little, um, you know, I'm not even talking about the, like the amusement park feel outside the park. That's another story. But even within the, even within Wrigley field, like I don't like personally, I don't like the video camera. I don't, I, I liked it better when there was no like, you know, screen and, you know, I didn't need all these things on this. They could, they could have done something. They didn't have to make it like a, I feel like Wrigley field is trying to go the opposite way and be like other fields. And I think they could, they should have just kept, some of the old, you know, the, they don't have, they don't have to have a screen that you could see and like, you know, that them showing like dumb little, you know, games in between. I, I just felt like that was, that was the charm about Wrigley Field. And I guess people, a lot of people say that they don't mind it because they're like, well, that's what all, you know, stadiums have. It still kind of has its old charm. That's true. But I think, um, I'm just saying that, like, I don't know why the White Sox didn't know that from the get-go. Like, you know, not the White Sox necessarily, but whoever was like me, I don't know, maybe it was Jerry Reinsdorf. I don't know, back back when they made the guaranteed rate, 
it's like, didn't you know that people do like nostalgia? And did they, I guess they were thinking, well, we already have a Wrigley Field. Why not make another one? But now it's like this whole thing where they're like, oh, we're just trying to make it, we're trying to make it different. It's going to be more palatable to people to come. I mean, how can you guarantee that people are going to come to this new, you know, to this new field? It's, I don't know. It's just crazy. So, Romana, what I think you're doing right there uh, in that extended riff uh, is trying to apply logic <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to a very illogical situation. You're trying to uh, ascertain as to whether the propaganda put out uh, by proponents of this new stadium has any legitimacy to it. Uh, and you're doing that because you're a trained journalist, and that's what journalists are supposed to do. You work from the assumption uh, that people are of good faith uh, and that the uh, the messages they put out are, are based on legitimate study and analysis, and now you're critiquing it. And I remember having to do this down through the years myself with all kinds of wacky schemes, like just to name one, uh, Mayor Daly's dream of having the Olympics in the city of Chicago. Uh, and so in reality, what I'm saying, uh, they're just kind of making this up as they go along in order to justify a public handout for, uh, the 78, which is, again, as I always say, a huge tract of undeveloped land just south of the loop at Roosevelt, just south of Roosevelt Road and roughly Clark Street. They don't know how to fill it up. So they came up with this idea of putting a White Sox stadium in there. And and then they just said, OK, guys, cook up a reason to justify this. Because the public are not that bright. They'll fall for anything and uh, just put some, you know, make it look nice. And I got to admit, there's more resistance. I must admit that today. Uh, to public financing of stadiums than there were in the past. Um, I think to a certain degree, a lot of it, some of it's driven by sports coverage. Like the sports coverage is harder. The, rep- the sports reporters are harder on this uh, than the political reporters. You know what I'm saying? Like if you want to read some critical stuff about this idea, go listen to the score, the, the sports talk radio, or go read Rick Morrissey in the Sun-Times or Rick Tellender in the Sun-Times. Don't read the news coverage, it's particularly from the, the downtown dailies, because they're just spewing the, they're spewing the propaganda. So I, I think more people are in agreement with you, uh, Romana, uh, on this particular. So they, they're baffled as to why, why the White Sox would seek a new stadium when they still haven't finished paying off the last stadium. And another, which, by the way, I've grown to like over the years. Isn't that weird? I've kind of. No, a lot of people, a lot of people like it. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I'm not like someone who's a huge White Sox fan. I've probably been to guaranteed rate maybe three times in my life. I never went to, I, I even, I, I find it hard to call it guaranteed rate. I still call it Comiskey once in a while. <laughs> and, and it was called U.S. Cellular before that. So sometimes I'll call it U.S. Cellular. I don't call it's so weird. Or I think most people just call it Sox Park because it just sounds weird calling it guaranteed rate field. But um, for the longest time, I would call it Comiskey Park still because I still think of it as Comiskey Park. But um, I mean, it's a it's it's a nice stadium. I mean, it's a nice stadium. I mean, yeah, it doesn't fill up because I'm not trying to take a swipe at the White Sox. But yeah, let's face it. It's never like fully full. And I think that's that's part of what a lot of people like about it is they can go and watch a baseball game. They can jump up a couple seats ahead. Unlike the Ken at Wrigley Field at Wrigley Field, they have like these old senior We'll see. I'm being like redundant by saying that, but they have these senior citizens sitting by the like the like the really close seats, and they're they like they won't let you go up closer. When I was a kid, I went to Wrigley Field once, and one of the vendors let me go up. But like now, it's like if they they, they have these like really hardcore senior citizens, and they're not playing. So like even if it's empty and it's a rained out game, they won't let you sit close up. But at like when you go to Sox Park and there's a you know it's like really empty, and you have like you know, $10 seats, you can just like keep going closer and closer and watch a major league baseball game really close. And so I think that's what a lot, what a lot of people like about it. You know, they, a lot of, I do think the food is a lot better. I have to say at Comiskey Park, they have like a lot more variety. So I I don't know. I, I, I think I feel like people who like baseball, like guaranteed rate field and people who like the socks like yeah we're getting and we we're getting a lot of letters um here on the editorial board from people who live or in and around bridgeport 
And they're just kind of, they're like upset, you know, they're like, why would you want to take away this, you know, base, a baseball stadium from our neighborhood when we've had this here for years and it's just part been part of our community. And so you have a lot of people. Yeah. Most of the letters I haven't got, I don't think I've seen one letter from anyone, um, any one of our readers who are like, yeah, this is such a good idea. I mean, everybody's like, I just like right before I got on with you, Ben, I mean, I, you know, people are just saying things like, well, if they, if these owners want this much money and they're mentioning the bears and the socks, they're like, if they want this, then we should all have a, the, the taxpayers, the city and state should have a stake in these teams instead of just handing over people these, this money. And so, yeah, everybody's upset. I mean, and, and, and a lot of these people are White Sox fans. A lot of these people are Bears fans. And so, you know, they're all upset. And, you know, even some of the, some of the readers we have are just saying, well, if the Sox are threatening to go, let them go you know, but we don't think we need a new stadium. So I'm, you're right. I don't think I've met anybody who has said that this is a good idea besides the really, really rich people who want this to happen and the and, owners of the teams. Yeah. And their advocates and like the Tribune and the uh, Cranes. Yeah. Cranes actually editorialized to hand, give money to both the Bears and the uh, uh, Sox. I'm going to say this before we move on to the next topic. And you triggered this in my mind. I feel compelled to say this. Of all the things you said in that riff, this is the one thing I was like reacting to the most. Uh, the desecration of Wrigley Field. Yeah. Uh, 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 with the, the signs and stuff. I believe that, um, I okay, I'm a fan of every team in Chicago, uh, pretty hardcore uh, Bulls fan, as everybody knows, uh, Bears fan, uh, and Sox fan. I qu- quit on the Cubs for many reasons. We've had that conversation. In my, but I, I still went to a one Cubs game last year. A friend invited me, uh, and in my opinion, it just uh, it just uh, seconded the opinion I already had. The most obnoxious sports fans in Chicago are Cubs fans. I just say that they, they just there's an attitude of entitlement. There's like a hostility that Cubs fans have. Um, which is mixed with this notion that somehow or other they're superior to everybody else because they remain loyal to this mediocre team. Uh, it, it, the combination of it. And in the old days, I can understand because the, the notion that you, you have appreciation uh, for a valued a franchise because Ricky Field, they, the nickname was the Shrine, and it was like a shrine. But when I go there now, I'm like, are you? It's to your point. It's like this is like every other stadium now in the world with that giant jumbo screen out there. Which is okay, I guess if you want to go see a rock concert uh, in Wrigley Field and you're stuck up way and you can bear up in the third balcony or the second balcony, you can't see the stage. Maybe that's beneficial. I I see no benefit. To a base to having that thing for a baseball game, um, they don't even have that. I mean, I've been to concerts there; they don't even use that. I don't because it's usually the stage is covering that, so they have other other screens. From what I from if I'm if I'm if somebody might um, disagree with me, but from what, remember that's where the stage usually is. So the stage usually is in that area where the bleachers are like, that's where they set up all, everything. So th- that camera, that, that screen is already blocked. So they usually bring additional screens. I'm trying to think of the Bruce Springsteen concert. I went to in the, in the summer, they had, they had a camera, but it, I mean a screen, but it wasn't, it wasn't. Okay. So way. you finally got to go to a Bulls game this year. Yeah. All right. So you have a p- contrast in your mind, a Bulls crowd, which I admit I'm very biased for because I'm a Bulls fan. Okay, should I tell you uh, what and I and a white and a, and a Chicago Cubs crowd? Go okay, ahead. Okay, so uh, the one thing the one thing that I noticed right away was that the crowd at the uh, Bulls game was a lot more racially diverse. Um, Wrigley Field is mostly white. Um, there are people of color at Wrigley Field, but it's far it's fewer than. Uh, it's kind of fewer to see the white Sox might have a few more people of color. They have like a pretty, um, you know, they're in Bridgeport. There's a large East Asian population there. There's a lot of Latinos and they have a lot of um, black fans. Wrigley field. You always see the, the, the couple sprinkling of uh, people of color. So that was one of the things I noticed that um, the bulls fans were a lot more racially diverse than the uh, Cubs fans are but you have to also notice uh, you always have to point out i mean one of the things with wrigley field and the cubs is because they're 
more popular, and I'm putting that in quotes, more popular than the White Sox um, is because, so a lot of people just come to these games just to kind of hang out, right? And they're not necessarily Cubs fans. Like, you know, a lot of people, when they come from out of town, they're like, oh, and I catch a Cubs game. Some people like go there and they probably don't even understand baseball. But so I think a lot of people just go there and hang out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my brothers would probably argue that I'm not really a Cubs fan because I don't follow them like he does. Like, I don't, I don't, I like sports, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Like, I don't like, that's not all I think about. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, okay. If the Cubs are doing really well, I'll get excited. Like when it's like September, but I'm not going to, I don't follow their every move or anything like that. I don't like my husband, Mick has to tell me things. And then, you know, my brother will, my brother will quiz me and he'll ask me. So he says, I'm like a, he says that I'm like one of those fake fans that come to the games and just hang out. So I'm just telling you, that's what, so yeah, my brother, cause I don't know, like, I might not know. He'll like say, who's a, he'll, he'll be like, who's a right fielder. And I'd be like sitting there like thinking about it. And then, you know, take no, me but you're, you're proving my point. You, you are not emblematic of a Cubs no, fan. No, no, I mean, but I don't like I don't like Cubs fans either when I'm not yeah, going so to the game. They're, they're obnoxious. But you know, so, to, to, to be fair, Sox fans can be obnoxious too. I know okay, a lot of okay, so, yeah. I, so I mean a lot of people, oh, all these Sox fans think they're like so high and mighty because they think they're better than Cubs fans. They can be annoying too. So I think a lot of sports fans can just be annoying. I think Sox fans are annoying when it's like I'm not even talking about the Cubs and then they'll start picking fights. Okay, so like here, 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 I, I could do do a whole deep dive in this. Um, so I go to uh, qu- quite a few Sox games, maybe five a year. That's not quite a few, not like Bulls games, but I go to m- way more Sox games than Cubs games. And I, in general, I find the Sox crowd far friendlier uh, and um, less arrogant uh, and maybe less entitled. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's just you. I mean, Wait, but, people... but there's also been games I've been to where fights have broken out uh, in the bleachers at White Sox Park from people who've been drinking too much. So there is yeah. that. I overlooked that one. Just the drunk situation. Well, think about all the people who run onto the field. I mean, that's mostly it happens at guaranteed rate. Remember that one father and son who ran on the field yes, a couple I do years remember ago? That, that, was, that a... was before it was guaranteed rate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I give I you mean, credit, by the way, for getting the correct corporate name. Uh, that's yeah, the editorial I mean, board training in you, you, you journalist. You get the right name. I want to like, make sure. Hard. I want to make. I want to <laughs> make sure. No, but I, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I think some. I think, I think, yeah, Cubs fans definitely have a reputation for being like really annoying, and they can be. Like I, I. But I think a lot of people who are drunk and are can be annoying, right? So like it's like so it's kind of like they're just. People okay. People can be annoying. Period. And then yeah, it's a it's maybe a Cubs thing. And I don't know. It's a, there's a lot of people who go to these games and don't know anything about like if there, if like a bunch of people who come into town or like there's a bunch of rich people, they'll be like they're gonna pick the Cubs game to go to, right? <laughs> I'm just saying like if they want to be hanging out, they'll they'll pick Wrigley Field. And I don't like. I mean, there's some things that I'm like okay with outside of Wrigley Field, but in general, it's it does look kind of weird. Like it's kind of it just looks completely. Um, it, it's like the neighborhood itself doesn't look the same anymore. Um, Mick has more issues with it than I do because um, I want to try one or two of the restaurants that are there. And Mick's like, no, you're not going with me. So I go, well, some of them kind of look like you can overlook Wrigley Field where you're eating. Like I'll go with the front. I've never I've never been to a restaurant there yet. Like. The skating thing that they have outside Wrigley Field, I think that's okay. <laughs> like I don't mind that, <sighs> but there's some there's some things about it that I, I don't like it either. I don't I don't like like I said I don't like the big screen. I get why they have it, but they used to have little TV screens inside so you could watch replays on that. I kind of like that better. The foods the foods gotten worse. I I used to always get a foot long hot dog when I used to go there. They don't they don't. Have, <laughs> I know Mick would be so Mick is a vegetarian for anybody who doesn't know. And he'd be so disgusted watching me eat it. And they, they, they have like all this, it was like a really good hot dog. I used to go to this one special place. They don't have that anymore. And now they have like, and then they got rid of Hebrew national, which I really liked. Um, so they got rid of like a lot of things that I liked about it. Um, it's just, I think um, 
one of the things at Wrigley Field is just so crowded. So it'd be, I think that's one of the that's one of the things that people complain. It's a good problem to have, and that's why people end up liking going to White Sox games because they're less crowded. But I don't think the White Sox need a new stadium. It doesn't matter whether I like the Sox or not. I just I just don't think I don't see the point of having. That's a new not the issue. I everybody understands it's not the issue. That, that's. Uh, yeah, absolutely not the issue whether you like the Sox or like the Cubs. It, you could actually hate the White Sox and be a huge Cub fan, but think because you've been brainwashed by Cranes and Tribune that it's actually some economic development benefits. No, I really loop. don't think it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not even like a economic development expert, and I don't think it's going to really do anything. No, I, and, you know, and I think that the vast majority of Chicagoans agree with you, uh, and that they realize that it's pure propaganda that the. Um, that the new that the um the the teams are putting out and that the so many of the uh, well not your editorial board but uh, uh cranes and tribune just swallow whole so i think chicagoans this is going to be so strange coming from me because i'm always making fun of and belittling them because they elected rom <laughs> twice not once but twice uh are smarter than um than the the papers uh and the uh, White Sox propaganda skip credit for. All right, let's move on to uh, a story that broke uh, in between uh, now and the uh, the last time we were on the show. And uh, it was one of my favorite stories. We talked about it a lot uh, on the show, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it with you. And you were an eyewitness to it. Um, <clears throat> and I call it uh, editorial board gate. Uh, and it has to do with a bizarre to put it mildly, uh, appearance uh, by uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson before the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board uh, and um, where he ended up, it ended up uh, the mayor's press secretary, Ronnie Reese, Ronnie, come on, what are you thinking? Uh, asked the editorial board to go off the record. And when I read about this, I started laughing out loud, like, why, why even meet with the editorial board if it's off the record? The whole point is to Put your propaganda out there so they buy it. Duh! Off the record doesn't do any good. Anyway, sorry. And vent. You were there. You witnessed the whole thing. Uh, so take us from A to Z on what went down with editorial board gate. Go ahead. Well, first of all, um, we had we did Ronnie and Reese, and um, I know I know there's other people. I, it was probably Ronnie Reese, but I don't know. I shouldn't I shouldn't quote say what my boss, um, I don't want to misquote my boss, but basically we had, uh, a, a meeting scheduled with the mayor a few weeks ago. This isn't the one that, um, was put off the record and then, you know, all of us couldn't make it. And then, so kind of, we were kind of going back and forth and we finally agreed to date, not this Monday, but last Monday. And we're all ready. Um, you know, I just came back from a run. So it's like made sure my hair was all combed before. Um, and we, um, so we finally agreed to date. Fran Spielman was there. We had someone from our, um, video team there. Um, there was Mary Mitchell who, um, works for us too still and writes a column. She was there too. So we had two extra people, three extra people. And, uh, we, you know, we usually record our editorial board meetings because if we want to write about the issues that, um, the different groups come and talk to us about, um, we just want to make sure we're, you know, we don't, we don't want to harass them over and over again, just kind of get their points of, uh, you know, they have and put them across. Um, so we had a bunch of them, um, we had, uh, I think it was Brandon Johnson, Ronnie Reese. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else from the mayor's. I think they were the only ones from the mayor's team. So we all kind of, uh, you know, we all were there. We're all, this was on Zoom, by the way. Um, and we all in, made introductions about who we were. And uh, on, on the side, um, our boss or someone, somebody else from the editorial team just reminded our boss, uh, Lorraine Forte, that we need to record the meeting. So Lorraine, we always tell people we're recording them, obviously. And so right before we, we, we just gave the introductions and then Lorraine was like, well, we're going to record this meeting. We just wanted you to know. And she hit the record button. And as soon as she said that, Ronnie Reese is like, well, I hope you guys all know that this, this conversation is going to be off the record. And my boss is like, Lorraine was like, what? She goes, I, we, we're not, we don't do that. And then, you know, we were kind of going back and forth and finally, um, you know, just there was some discussion offline and we're just like, we don't want to do it if we have to do this, you know, conversation off, you know, off the record. It doesn't make sense in front of editorial board. 
And uh, Ronnie Reese insisted that he's gone before other editorial boards and they've done off the record conversations. And we asked what organization, because we don't remember him going in front of, you know, the Chicago Tribune or Cranes. And I don't know any other, does Cranes even have an editorial board or do they write, they have an edit. So I was like thinking, I'm like, so is Cranes, the Chicago Tribune, who else has an editorial board? And so they go, well, we went before the board at ABC7. So we're thinking it was just not an editorial board, but like people who are board members of ABC7, right? And so and so they're like, we've done this before, you know, and then we just basically, and while we were talking, um, the mayor turned off his camera. <laughs> so it was it was mostly like Ronnie Reese and, 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 and there was one of my colleagues jumped in and, you know, was saying, no, we don't do this. We've never had, we never had a politician come in, um, uh, any elected leader and say that this, this discussion is going to be off the record. And so we agreed that we're going to have a follow-up discussion. I don't know when that's going to happen. That is going to be on the record. Cause we just said that we're not interested in doing off the record conversation because, you know, we just didn't, we didn't just, we didn't see the point, you know, it's like, and we don't want to, you know, and we're just, we're kind of talking about it afterwards. We're like, we don't want to be accused of using something that was off the record from this meeting. If we ever have something in, in an editorial or something like that, that makes it seem like we're alluding to that conversation. You know what I mean? Because there's so many things that happen. And just because just for the principle of it as an editorial board, we don't do things off the record when we have meetings with, um, whether it's like a special interest group or whether it's with an elected leader, I don't think we've, I, I've, uh, the, two, the two years I've been on the editorial board and just talking to people, they said that was the first time that's ever been done by, by a leader asking for an off the record meeting. So, um, I, uh, you know, Fran Spielman obviously wrote about it and then we did an editorial on it. Um, I thought that, I thought I, I had, um, told, uh, I had talked to our editorial board and I said, because we were the ones that happened to, I think we need to talk about it. And we just, that's where we kind of talked about how, you know, the mayor, and it's not really, honestly, it's really not about us. And that's what I feel deeply. Like I know a lot of media people are talking about the current administration's dealing with dealings with the press and, you know, the lack of news conferences and, you know, Sometimes it takes a little while for people to get back to you, which is a problem with a lot of, you know, a lot of political leaders. But I know a lot of there's been a lot of people talking about it. But I pointed out that really, honestly, this a lot of it is inside baseball about the press and the media, like in our discussions. But I wanted to stress that it's ultimately about the citizens and um, that they need to hear from the mayor themselves. And we're kind of like the middleman. And so I think that's one of the things for me as, as a journalist, I just want to point out that it's really not about us. It's about the citizens. And that's what I wanted to get across on the editorial, that if the mayor isn't, is just doing off the records, if the mayor isn't doing like, you know, press conferences, you know, once in a while, it does kind of keep a lot of the citizens in the dark and it does, it does kind of question whether this administration wants to be as transparent as they can be. And so I just want to point out that's what, that's what I thought was important to get across for people to know that, you know, this is about the residents of Chicago ultimately. And it's not about journalists because a lot of times us journalists thinks that think that we're the most important thing. And, you know, I, I know there's a, I, I know in Fran Spielman's story, she had pointed out how um, Lori Lightfoot, you know, she called it, you know, I don't know what word she used, but I know a lot of people were upset when Lori Lightfoot did, like, I think it was her, was it her first hundred days or was it for her first year in office where she just had mostly journalists of color um, interviewing her? Well, just journalists of color. And people were so upset. And I was like, it's one time. It's like, I thought that was a little hysterical. So I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't see the hullabaloo about it. So that's what, my point is, I don't think, I don't think journalists need to put themselves at the center of the story all the time. It's it's it it was something that happened to us, but ultimately I felt and I think the board agreed is that when you're not talking to the press, you're not you're not talking to the citizens of Chicago and it can it can hurt you. So that's what we want to get across. We do hope to meet with the mayor in in the future at some point. Okay. So um listening in your uh uh, explanation went down. It just reinforces 
the absurdity, in my humble opinion, of seeking to go off the record in front of an editorial board. The whole purpose of an editorial board is to deal with the on the record stuff because you have to make an evaluation. You, you spoke, that's your job. You make it a, like, so Sox Stadium, is it worth the money? Uh, here's what the Sox say. Here's what Ben says. We're going to, going off the record, getting access to information that you can't put in your official explanation as to why you're going to endorse it totally contradicts the whole purpose of it. So it's so absurd. That said, your riff got me to write the following list. Now, I are, this is my second list of the day, Romana. The first one, most obnoxious sports fans, number one, by far, no question about it, Chicago Cubs. Uh, you ducked and dodged a little bit on that one, but I think you basically agree with me. Cub fans, number one, most obnoxious fans. This is biggest crybabies in the world, or in the United States. Number one, no question, MAGA. Always cry, oh, poor me, we lost the election, we're going to claim it was stolen, and you get the Supreme Court, like, bowing over for you. No, so they're the number one. Number two, downtown business community. Somehow or other things, oh, the mayor doesn't like us, oh, poor us. Number three, LeBron James and Steve Kerr, nothing more need be said. They, they never saw a foul committed by themselves or their team. And number four, Chicago journalists. Come on, Ramon, you're always crying about something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, I agree. Lori Lightfoot said, Oh, I'm going to let some, I'm going to give interview some black people, reporters, a, ch a, a chance to get me interviewers for the first hundred days. Which, by the way, any self respecting reporter didn't even want the interview. What is the mayor going to say but pure propaganda and puffery? You know? But the sobbing that I heard from mainstream journalists, oh, it's so unfair. They're mean. You, ha you have to admit, it was, it was mostly white white boomer journalists okay it was mostly white boomer some gen xers and 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 a lot of gen mostly, xers in that mix they were mostly like i think gregory pratt was the only person of color who was like oh it's okay like they have a the white old journalists have a point i i can tell you that there was we have a, a slack channel where it's a journalist of color um at the sun times and you know i don't know if you are familiar with slack but it's a messaging system uh. everybody was making fun of where everybody was taking tweets from different journalists and then somebody somebody so i have to tell you somebody shared a tweet that mick said and then i go you guys know that's my husband <laughs> They weren't they weren't going after Mick, but they said something about Mick, and then they're like, I think someone said that's the only thing white journalists should say and shut up. And then and then I go, You guys know that's my husband, right? Every everybody was laughing. They're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, it's okay. We're I told Mick about it afterwards. But I No, but I you're right. Okay, so in that particular case, uh it was uh which I could never understand. Like, why would you want to wait? It's all puffery. The mayor's giving you puffery. Why is she, Why are you crying? Because you're not being allowed to swallow her propaganda first. And it you was it, it was a total like political. I mean, it was a total stunt, and all the journalists of color knew it too, right? But it was just like everybody was getting so upset. I'm like, some of these I don't want to name names, but some of these some of these journalists they are always talking. They're always talking to Lori Lightfoot. So it's just like you have access to her all the time. And these are like for some smaller publications that might not, you know, and and it was it was just like everybody was getting so worked up. So, yeah, I, I do think a lot of journalists and I'm not saying like individually, but some journalists think a little too too much, too highly of themselves. Like everything's about them. And that's what that's what I wanted to point out that, yeah, it happened, you know, and, and it is something that we should talk about. But it's not it's not like. And definitely it's like about, you know, transparency and all these things, but it's, it's ultimately not about us. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I think that's, what's important to point out. And even with those interviews with the journalists of color, I don't think a lot of older white reporters understand that there's probably a lot of perspective that a lot of these journalists of color who might not have access to the mayor, they might have some insight or some topics that we don't necessarily always talk about. And so it's like, even if you disagreed or, you know, agreed with what Lori Lightfoot did, it's like, God, just let them, it's just one day, calm down. You know what I mean? So that's, that, that's, that's one of the things where I'm just like, okay. Well, I sensed uh, a very similar reaction uh, to uh, editorial board gate. Uh, and 
it, it, it kind of reminded me of that uh, that moment, an embarrassing moment, I think, for uh, Chicago journalists. I don't uh, think it was. Was it that bad? I don't. I don't think there was that much of. It was, I don't think it was. I mean, the the. I'm listen. I'm not on Twitter. And by the way, if I was going to do a list of lame things, so we with the worst. Uh, sports fans, Chicago Cubs. I think we agree on that. Uh, the biggest crybabies, MAG. I think we agree on that. Yeah. Uh, the lamest thing, participating with Slack. I think uh, that would. I don't know if we're eye to eye on that, but Slack is pretty lame. Right? Well, we have to be on Slack at work. That's our main communication tool. Yeah. So know, we we have like different channels, and um, some of them are locked. So I'm just saying, like, some of them are only only private for certain people including our, our journalists of color Slack channel. So if you, so, but we, we haven't talked on it for a long time, but it, it was, it was bumping and it was, it was interesting listening to the, watching the Twitter feed. I don't think it was, I don't think the uproar on the editorial board gate was as much as it was with the people of color. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely there was, right. There was yeah. a lot more hysteria. Yeah, all- <laughs> yeah, it was definitely hysteria. And coming from a certain type of group of people, journalists. No, I, 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 that was embarrassing, guys. That was truly, truly embarrassing. You guys are crying because you're <laughs> not first in line to get whatever. Yeah, it, it showed the entitlement of certain people in this industry. Yeah, for sure. yeah entitlement is the right word. All right, uh, let's move on to Michigan. I'm going to be taking a deeper dive with Andrew Allison, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Later today, the Ben uh, show, Steve Kornacki. Uh, the guy knows uh, election results like no other. Um, but it, it, it established uh, something that Romana has been talking about for weeks now, ever since, uh, well, ever since uh, October 7th, the war broke out and the Israeli reaction to the slaughter of October 7th just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, that there will be a political price to pay uh, for Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, because of his embrace of Benjamin Netanyahu. And um, we saw that uh, at the polls to a certain degree on Tuesday with the Michigan primary, over about 100,000 voters or so voted uncommitted. Uh, And um, that was their way of sending a protest uh, to, um, uh, to Joe Biden. Uh, and at the very least, asking him to pick, the, I'm going to pick the word that's always used, have a more nuanced uh, approach uh, to the war in the Middle East. Uh, Romana, you've been saying this, I mean, since I want, I, for a long, long time. Yeah. I've said this since post, like maybe a week after October 7th, because I knew what was coming um, after the atrocities of October 7th. And the way Joe Biden kind of gave um, Netanyahu a blank check, we knew that this was going to be um, pretty much death, more death and devastation um, for Palestinians, right? Like after the death, deaths and devastation on October 7th of Israelis and foreign nationals and the kidnappings, you know that Israel has um, like an arsenal of weapons, bombs. Um, mostly paid by us, that were it was just going to be relentless. Like you knew, you knew what was going to happen, and I knew within the first week that this was going to be an issue that um, I know a lot of Muslims and Middle Eastern um, citizens in the United States were going to be were kind of be watching Joe Biden and seeing how he was going to be responding. And, um, you know, just from the get-go, the way Joe Biden was talking publicly and um, the kind of erasure of Palestinian lives, um, Joe Biden put out a statement 100 days since October 7th, and uh, there was mention of Israel, no mention of Palestinian lives. And to this date, there's over 30,000 Palestinians who have been killed, Um mostly due to Israeli airstrikes and that um, most of those, uh, most of these people who have died have been civilians. And, you know, and they, people say whenever there's, you know, the first casualty of war is the truth, but because there are allies, um, the way we cover the situation, it's like everybody's kind of been walking on eggshells. Like you can't use the word genocide. It offends too many people who are pro Israel. Um, You know, when Israel is bombing hospitals um, there, it's because Hamas is there. And then, you know, weeks later we found out, we find out that that might necessarily be the case. 
And so, um, I don't know, just a couple, I think just today there was some people trying to get, um, aid and they were killed, you know, it's like, so there's like all this news stories. And I, I think one of the things a lot of Americans don't get, or at least the people who are paying attention to what's happening in the Middle East. Cause I, I know a lot of people are saying, Oh, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody wants, no, most Americans don't pay attention to, and that's probably true. But I don't think people realize that the people who do pay attention are really upset by it. And this, and, and I don't know why the Biden administration isn't paying attention to it. And, and for, and you know, a lot of, um, I can tell you just anecdotally, I, I know there's a lot of discussion in my community, like the Muslim community. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are South Asian. I have friends who are Middle Eastern, different races, some black Muslims. Nobody wants to vote for Biden. And everybody's just, everybody's there. Most people have already said they're not going to vote for president. Um, and they said that, and the there, and then there's other people who are struggling, like whether they, sh- they want to vote for Biden. And, and, and I, and I think it's part of the disrespect and the, and they feel very offended that a lot of Democrats, a lot of centrists are like saying like, well, what do you want? You want Donald Trump to be president? You know, you know, it's going to be worse for you Muslims if you like, you know, have Donald Trump in the, in the white house and nobody likes Donald Trump. I can tell you, nobody I know likes Donald Trump, but we feel like, okay, Donald Trump wants to put a Muslim ban, but then you have a president right now who does not care about how, what we're feeling right now, what we're thinking right now, and has no problem <laughs> like, kind of advocating for the killing of Arabs and or Muslims. And that's what I think a lot of people are not understanding. Like people understand that a lot of Jewish Americans have some sort of um, empathy and strong feelings towards Israel. But I don't think a lot of Americans, I think, I think it's, it's, it's the way they talk about Muslims that we're not fully American. And that's what I think people don't understand is like, basically, this administration and previous administrations have no problem bombing countries where there's other Muslims. And people fail to recognize that we might have relatives overseas who are being affected by this. Like, you know, Chicago is home to the largest Chicago area, I should say, is a home to the largest Palestinian American community. And for people to act like this stuff shouldn't matter and or we shouldn't be feeling anything like people, people have an easy time understanding why Jewish Americans feel an affiliation with Israel and Israelis and why they're affected when something happens there. But I think most Americans fail to understand that Muslims and or Arabs have a feeling that these are our people overseas that are getting killed. Like they don't see that they don't, they don't want to recognize that we have these same feelings towards other people in the world. And, and then, and these are mostly the countries that are, that we're okay with bombing and they don't want like they, they, it, it, so it's just kind of like, everybody's just upset because you know, people are already chastising these certain groups. And it's not just Arabs and Muslims, Ben, as we talked off air. There's a lot of younger people and younger people of color, including um, many Jewish Americans who don't want to vote for Biden either. So I think I think it's one of those things where I think I, I don't think this administration wants to recognize that. And, you know, Michigan, is a, I don't think it matters what happens in Illinois because I, you know, I don't think Biden will have that hard of a time, but Michigan is a place like a swing state. And I think there was, I think there was a, I think the Arab and or Muslims in Michigan helped Joe Biden get elected in Michigan. And now they don't want to vote for him. I mean, he, they're, they're, they, I think it was like 80, 80% of them, but it was like, it was a, it was a large percentage of people who voted for Biden in 2020 uh, of people who are Arab slash Muslim. And now, you know, we saw what happened with the primaries last week, this week. Um, nobody wants to, nobody wants to vote for him. There's a lot of people who voted uncommitted and 100, yeah. And they thought it was, they, they just wanted this, um, this group of people who were pushing this, this campaign, this uncommitted campaign. I forgot what it was called. Um, they basically, uh, they basically said that, their their goal was to get ten thousand people to vote uncommitted, and they got a hundred thousand people. And I think every single county in Michigan had at least I think I could be misquoting, but they had a a, a significant percentage of people who voted uncommitted. I think it was ten percent, but I, I, I the numbers could have changed. I saw it earlier in the night on uh, Tuesday. 
So I don't know. I'm sure the, the Biden administration is paying attention, but just like publicly, it seems like they're just kind of blowing it off. Like, hey, who cares? And so that's, I think that's what's upsetting for a lot of people. Um, at least I can tell you from the Arab slash uh, Muslim American community, it's just kind of like, we don't matter. And it doesn't really matter what you say. We are pretty much ignoring what you are feeling or have to say. So, so, uh, so here's, uh, I'll, here's the part where I'll, I'll repeat what we always say when we have this conversation. And it's not just with you when I have any kind of conversation about uh, what's happening in Gaza in the Middle East. Uh, what we're talking about is the political impact in the United States uh, to the, the policy here, uh, which is distinct from the slaughter that's going on and um, the horror that's going on. Uh, and so there's something unseemly to a certain degree to talking about it in political terms uh, as though the slur itself doesn't matter. Uh, but of course, that's yeah. a reality I can't avoid anymore. I put that off for too long. And so I feel like we have to address this as an issue. Uh, and uh, Ramana, so I believe that right now, and I'm not, I can't say this for any degree of certainty because I don't have access. I'm, I'm not, like they don't talk to me, the people in the Biden administration. You know, there are probably other journalists that they talk to. I am not on that list, but I know the political mind and I know how it works. And right now, I am telling you, there are political strategists who work for Joe Biden trying to figure out if they can win the election without Michigan. And that they are f strategizing that right now. They're figuring out, okay, let's, we, you got to take your, Worst scenario into consideration. We, 100,000 is a significant number. Uh, so we don't know if we can capture Michigan. So can we win this election if Michigan goes to Trump? Uh, and to a certain degree, I understand why they're doing that, but that I feel like we're missing an opportunity and, and, and the opportunity that is to fashion a foreign policy that recognizes the humanity of Israelis and Palestinians. And you have to do that. You have to, you have to, that basic fundamental recognition that these are li human lives that are being lost. And this is a horrifying moment in our history. And we are partly culpable because we are funding the slaughter. So we must reconsider how we're approaching this. Exactly. It's not about winning voters in Dearborn. Exactly. It's about doing the right thing. And to me, that's like that's above and beyond the political strategy that is going on. That's how I view it. No, I, I do too. For me, this is a moral thing. And so that's what's been frustrating for a lot of people from my community it's just this, it's, it's like, there's a slaughter going on and you cannot deny it. I mean, what happened on October 7th is terrible. There was 1200 people who died, but it's like right now there's over 30,000 people. And it's just like, you know, how can you, how at this point, can you think that this is okay? There's a significant amount of children who have died, um, you know, and people are doing all sorts of mental gymnastics in their head about why this is the right thing to do. And, and it's like every day, it's like, it, it's like, how can you as a human being look at what's happening and think this is okay, you know, and, you know, I mean, just a couple of days, or was it a day before Biden was talking about a ceasefire licking an, you know, an ice cream cone and people were really upset about that. You know, they're like, they're like, kids are starving in Gaza. They're like eating like, animal food at this point, animal feed, people have been eating grass and they're being starved and you're sitting here eating an ice cream cone. Like, you know, it was, people just felt like it was really tone deaf. Like a lot of people think that the um, messaging that Joe Biden has been sending off, he just sound, he just, just sounds like very out of touch and like, he's not paying attention to anything, any of the, you know, the protests that people are feeling, the outrage that people are feeling, but you know, you know, just like the death toll as it keep, keeps climbing. Like some people even feel like they're like, even if he like calls for a ceasefire now, they're like, God, it's like, it took you this long to finally realize it. So 
yeah, politically it would help, but like morally too. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the fact that they're if they're sitting around thinking about how they could win without Michigan, without like even addressing the elephant in the room is just, it's just crazy to me. And, um, you know, I, I know like there are some people paying attention to it, but to protect, you know, they, they don't, I think they just think it's like a blip. Like they don't have to worry about it, but I think they're being arrogant by not realizing it. And just, I just think, I just think that they're not realizing that a lot of people think that this is something that's like really important morally and politically. So I don't know. I agree, Ben. I, I agree. It's like just ending the slaughter is what, and, and just, just a foreign policy that treats all human beings, whether they're Israeli, whether they're Palestinians and it's 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 one of those things where it's if we were bombing an African country, do you think black people would be not react to it in any sort of way? And that's how I think a lot of Americans are really tone deaf in the response. And they think we're being like overly emotional or or, you know, they automatically treat anybody who cares about Palestinians as a terrorist. Right. Or you know, you're just a terrorist sympathizer. So it, it's like, it's just been something that my community has had dealt with this dehumanization. And so a lot of people um, in our communities feel like, okay, you basically don't care about us because you're not listening to us and you're quick to kill people that look like us overseas without any sort of question. Or so I don't know. It's 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 one of those things that we're going to be paying attention to. I think the DNC is that we're going to be seeing a lot of protesters. Oh my goodness! Um, I, yeah, move the convention to Atlanta as soon as we can, please. Because <laughs> uh, I think I think it's going to be um, it's going to be pretty interesting. And I think yeah. I think there's a lot of people um, like political like you know experts. You know, they're really I guess a lot of people who. They look at the lefties and they look at people like me and in, in my community, like they don't think we matter. And they I, I think a lot of us, a lot of political experts are quick to um, dismiss this, the, the seriousness of the situation. But it's it's, it's just, I knew this was something that was going to be I knew this was something that was if I knew that if Joe Biden was going to shut up and let Netanyahu do whatever he wanted to do. I knew within the first week this was going to be something yeah. that was going to that could right. possibly happen. The, the topic of uh, again the distinction, the left, the the, the Democratic Party long ago calculated that's true. That's that they true. could win an election without the left. That is true. Uh, that is and true. so, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, for that is. You're, you're, that's uh, true. And uh, there's a lot so of layers I, to this. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this, and we'll, um, yeah. So this will be unfolding more. And one more time, I'll say Andrew Ellison will be on. We're breaking down. Uh, He's obsessive student of politics, and we'll be breaking down the results from Michigan and talking about the larger political calculus and the different. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to take a listen to that. Yeah, he's he's, he's a pretty smart guy, Andrew. All right, uh, Ramana, thank you very much, uh, and um, keep up the good work, the Chicago Sun Times. Uh, <laughs> and come on, Ronnie, come on, Ronnie, drop, drop, come on, make make peace with the rain forte, okay? Call her up. Br- go there, there is peace. I think they have a cordial relationship. Make peace. Come on. Oh, but it's just like hard. saying let's let's have an on the record conversation. Let's have a run. And by the way, before the, the conversation begins, I want everyone from the mayor's office and the Chicago Sometimes editorial board to hold hands and sing "We Are the World." Can we do that, guys? Can we, Lorraine? I want you to hold hands with Ronnie Reese. Did you watch that documentary, by the way? I have. I, I plan. I, I can't believe I intend to watch it. I, we saw I, it. We saw it already. Mick wants to see it. Worth watching. Um, we watched. Yeah, Mick watched it with me because my brother told him about it, and we watched it. So. No, but is it worth watching? Yeah, it's it. There's definitely parts of it where you're just like, "Wow, you can't believe it's been 40 years." Oh, yeah, it's like that's insane. Issue. But yeah, um, yeah. No, yeah, I, I will watch parts it. Of it. I I have to tell you, Ben, just really quick before I, when I was a kid, um, we watched a documentary about We Are the World in my junior high, and uh, some of those. Some of those clips were from there, so I was like, "Yeah, I I saw this when I was a I, when I was a kid." So some of it's like repeat for me, but they have a lot of commentary from a lot of um, the stars that participated. And one of the things I noticed, they all got facelifts. It's it's just crazy. It's like no, you're looking man, at their faces. You're like, not, oh my god! You're like these people look like plastic. Everybody not Bruce. Looks like plastic. Bruce didn't yeah, get Bruce, a facelift. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce definitely got a facelift. It's more subtle. Bruce got a facelift. Yeah, I think he got a face. It's more subtle <laughs> oh. than anybody else. But like someone like Kenny Loggins, you're looking at his face and you're like, oh my god, you don't even look like yourself. Did Dylan you know? get a facelift? 
No, Dylan didn't, but he doesn't do commentary. That's actually the most interesting part about the um, documentary because Dylan wasn't at his peak at the time. And he was actually very um, shy and insecure. Like, <laughs> you have to watch it. You have to no, watch I, it. I, 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 I've read about it. I can understand why. Because he's in a room filled with outstanding, excellent singers. The man can't sing, Dylan fans. McDumpkey, just accept it, okay? He can't sing. And also affect the, accept this fact that Bruce Springsteen's been all downhill since Born to Run. There we go. I no, 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 no. The boss is making commentary, and he's he's pretty good. He's I think he was pretty good. Wasn't I, he funny in Larry David, by the way? When yes. When he was on the Larry yes, David show? Yes. <laughs> See, everybody what? likes the boss. I'm just telling you. Even Larry I love David. Bruce Springsteen. I'm just saying, man. You said he hasn't made a good song since Born to Run. I said it's been all downhill since Born no, to Run. No, no, no. He's, he's had, what about Born in the USA? That's when people my age discovered him. <sighs> All right. You know what? We'll just close off this cover. We'll have a whole Bruce Springsteen thing. We'll bring you, Mick, and Mark Bazer on. Yeah. Like, and your sister. I'll be outnumbered. Yeah. Uh, all right. Very good. Thank you very much, uh, Ramana. That's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Take care.